You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. Welcome to Quantum Leap Book Club. During the next hour, beloved mind scientist Parisha and her guests from around the world will read and discuss various best-selling books with well-known authors. Every show will apply retention techniques designed to help you to absorb powerful knowledge to effectively change your life. Join us every week for a thought-provoking hour and re-listen as often as you can. You will be delighted by what you learn and you will be excited by the results. Are you ready to take the quantum leap? Here's Parisha. Greetings. This is Quantum League Book Club, and I am your host, Parisha. And my co-hosts are with us this week. We have a few that are off traveling, doing other things. But this week with me is Joyce Mullenhauer, okay, Geraldine Dalbibor. And Geraldine is actually a, a, down in the, what we want to call, what do we call that? The under, what is that? Did you read? Down under, but we're certainly not down and under. We're mm-hmm. up and happy. <laughs> Not anything you can miss, okay? We have that Mary, Maria Jackis, who is in Florida. We have Trina, who's in actually Colorado. We have Marianne Love, and she's also from Australia, that down under. And Joyce, you sit comfortably here in Arizona. So we're pretty much a good crew to start off the program this week. What I want to do is actually talk to the many of you who actually stay very much uh, the following that we have. There's pretty much sometimes averaging at least 70 of you that continue to keep in touch and come back and give us feedback, which is great. And I'm sure the co-hosts are picking up different comments and stuff from their particular social media too. But I understand your frustration and I understand, and I asked you to stay with us this week so I could at least explain some of the, what you consider a drastic jump, okay? And so what we're studying and the book that we're in is the holographic universe. It is a very science related and based book, no doubt about it, nor does it have the particular kind of instructions and work that involves the meditation and stuff that we have covered when we work with Dr. Dispenza's books. But what we are doing with the holographic universe, and I agree with you that if some of you are of the heart, not of the head, this may sound a little hard for you. And it doesn't make any sense and you're not having the coherence as you say with it, okay? And I take it that a lot of you then are particularly uh, very seasoned to Joe's book. So this would be a change, okay? I'm not apologizing for it. I'm simply informing you as to why that would be. So when we've actually worked with Dr. Dispenza's books, as well as other people who are definitely related to the quantum field teachings, okay, we deal with a lot of personalization and what I consider lay person's language and actually conversation. With Michael, you're going to get more into what a scientist thought would be. But I need to explain to you how much heart is in Michael Talbot's teachings and who he was. And Michael, I had the privilege of actually being and had spent time with Michael on a couple of occasions. An extraordinary man, definitely one very, very ahead of his time. And and in fact, probably uh, what I see in him is the many people I have met in my life that I call avatars. And as an avatar, there are these geniuses and prodigies that come into the world loaded with information and wisdom and intelligence. And they never stay a long time. They never actually live with us for an extended period of time in life, usually die pretty much in their mid-30s, or if not earlier. And so Michael is one of those people. And uh, he always saw, I relate him a lot to when Uh, the different conversations we would have, I would see a lot of him and the many geniuses like Carl Sagar that that was not so much an institutionalized person as a very far-reaching person of wisdom. And uh, Michael lived in another time space. I am convinced of that. I'm going to talk to you a little bit outside the boundaries of what we would usually discuss the program, but most of you have very much seasoned yourself with your interest in quantum physics and language outside the usual nine to five person. Okay. With Michael, he saw what he's sharing with us, what he shares in the different people that he mentions in the particular work that we're going to be covering 
is that he would talk about these people in first place, meaning talk would include them in his teachings or whatever he was sharing as very warm and like best friends kind of reference it and stuff. So I truly accept that he got inside the space of these type people, especially in some kind of time channel where he could actually pick up because there'd be times he was talking and people would ask me later, do you think he was channeling? I don't know. I don't really accept channeling as how other people do, but I know he was connected and I know that there were downloads happening because I could see the energy. So the reason we're going through this book is whatever you have learned and however many books or seasons you are with Dr. Dispenza's book, you're talking now from a book that actually is talking about what he knows and how he teaches it is just simply different or more on a particular target level. Whereas with Michael, you're getting into the raw, definitely scientific base of what the quantum field is. So we will try to make that as digestible to you as possible on the, on the personalization level that you're asking about. It, uh, at the same time, I want my co-hosts to actually be the scientists, the self-made scientists that they are, and actually talk to you from where they understand what Michael is sharing this. this. His particular work has become a classic and anyone who ever had time with him recommends him to the highest of esteem because that's exactly what he worked. Okay. And he does put pretty much what he shares with us in good terms. Okay. And so the co-hosts are going to be kind of challenged that because they, like you, have studied a lot of Dr. Dispenza's work and other particular scientists that talk to it from more, I guess, the layperson's need of experience. Uh, I will go back over anything that you ask and actually help you, but we will be very, very detailed as much as we can to help you understand exactly what we're talking about. Some of you have come back because I've worked with you a number of times in different reasons and groups. And some of you are off some of the circles that I actually work with. So we, as far as definition and word check, which you said was a lot of what you're not grasping. Okay. Michael actually gives a, a, the definition of words that he uses throughout what he actually has written here. So I'm asking my co-host to actually highlight and mark the description he makes of words that he feels that the usual person would not know because it's in a particular field of study and research. So actually helping you understand the particular words or language we're using, we will do our very best with that. Uh, I encourage you to stay with it because where you may say it's confusing, you don't understand, uh, it's, you know, too far out, what is it, and all the other particular things that you've definitely communicated. We'll go with it as easy as we do. We'll cut into it on a short basis, not try to cover such a variety range. Okay, and let's see if you get it actually better this week and understand more. The actual giving you the understanding of what it is you have come to work with and know is very, very important. If it wasn't, we would not do the book. Okay, so actually, we're going to I'm going to rely on you to give the decision of whether we continue with this book or not in as much as how we can actually represent it and give it to you in the manner in a way that you can apply it and understand why it is it's good for you to know what we're trying to help you find out, okay? So with that, I'm going to actually start this week, and we'll start out with allowing uh, Trina from Colorado to start with us and explain what part she's starting, and she was actually, those of you who say you have finally found your book, page 32 is chapter two is where we'll be starting. Okay, so we'll let her start with that, and then the co-host will bring it forward. In between and on every level that I have to, I will jump in. I appreciate the most of you who have asked me to try and help you understand. I'm very, very confident that my co-host can do that, and that we can have a discussion at the end of actually what review they're going to give for you. Okay, and that review will be based on them and their own logic and experience so that we are delivering it to you and presenting it to you in a personal way. Okay, so we can begin with that with Trina. 
Trina, are you there? And can we start with you? Absolutely. And I understand exactly where all these people are at because I was not a lover of science, didn't get it. And I am finding this absolutely fascinating, especially if I just take my time to absorb in the concepts that are being presented. In we're going to start with um, chapter two, which is the cosmos is a hologram. And that, again, is on page 32. I'd, just like, to rem- I'd like you to make sure you read the particular little quote that's at the top of what you're going to read. Okay, sure. Uh, absolutely. Heartwarming. Yes. The quote that's actually in the book on page 32 says, one can't help but be astonished at the degree to which Bohm has been able to break out of the tight molds of the scientific conditioning and stand alone with a completely new and literally vast idea, one which has both internal consistency and the logical power to explain widely diverging phenomena of the physical existence from an entirely unexpected point of view. It is a theory which is so intuitively satisfying that many people had felt that if the universe is not the way Bohm describes it, it ought to be. And that's a quote from John P. Briggs and F. David Pete from Looking Glass Universe. And that kind of talks a little bit about David Bohm. That's what this chapter is about and how he came to the conclusion uh, that the universe itself would have a holographic nature. Now, if you remember in the first chapter, we talked about Carl Prebrum, who was a neurophysiologist that studied the brain and came up with the conclusion that the brain had holographic nature to it. And right now we're going to look at the way Dr. Bohm took a look at these things. Now he started out very, very young, very interested in science, very interested in creating things. And he didn't in, in his um, creations, he wasn't excited about trying to sell them. He was more curious and he took the road less traveled. He, he, he kept thinking outside the box. He asked the questions. Um, he stayed curious. He was always pondering. He was never satisfied even with the conclusions that he came up with. And he broke the mold of the science that Einstein had brought forward. He was one of the scientists that kind of took it even further. And sometimes he literally stood alone with his ideas. Even though the rest of the physicists were saying, you're kind of crazy, he stayed in the question the whole time. Now, as he entered college, he became absolutely fascinated with quantum physics, and especially the idea and concept of the subatomic world. And subatomic are those particles that are smaller, not even defined as particles, but smaller than the atom. So this fascination, this was super new and exciting, and scientists were really beginning to get into this. Everything about these particles didn't follow conventional thought. They were contrary to what nature or material showed. They were contrary to common sense. They seemed to be mystifying forces and, and wasn't, didn't seem to exp- um, show like logical patterns of behavior. And as these physicists started looking at it, including David Bohm, they found out that subatomic particles, when you, when you break an object down into smaller and smaller pieces, they don't carry the traits of the original object, which seemed very odd. And when, and like I was taught, and maybe many of you, we always had that picture of an atom being the protons and the neutrons and the nucleus with these electrons circling around it, kind of like the solar system. But what science is finding now is that electrons are not actually particles. They're not matter. Sometimes they act like a particle. Sometimes they act like a wave and they're not an object. So this is something new and exciting that all these scientists took off with these ideas. So this other idea that 
and an electron can be a particle or a wave. So imagine if you shoot an electron, which they've been able to do, you shoot an electron at a TV screen, you'll see a little flash of light. So you know that something, some little particle has hit the screen. But at other times, electrons can dissolve into kind of a blurry cloud that spreads out over space. And scientists found that this was incredible. This is amazing. And they can see this. And they behave, when they behave like a wave, if you take the wave electrons and you run them through a splitter, through like two slits, when they come back together and collide, they actually create those interference patterns that we learned about in the last chapter about holograms. They actually create these interference patterns. So that's one of the things where science starts saying, wow, at that point in time, 1930s or 40s, they didn't really understand holograms, but this is what they began to see is that those interference patterns, like if you drop the pebbles in the water and the, and the waves start interconnecting and moving through each other, those were the interference patterns. So again, this is common to all subatomic particles, light, radio waves, gamma waves, all of them can either be like a particle or they can be like a wave. So the scientists, the physicists have decided that they don't fit in either category. They actually have a, a category that is like both and they call it quanta. So quanta is actually a word for the plural of quantum and it's used to describe the, the material or, the, or these little subatomic particles that both have properties of a wave and a particle. So physicists were absolutely shocked, super excited about this, but what they also found as they're studying, and they have a lot of convincing um, studies behind this, is that the quanta manifests when there's an observer, when someone's looking at them or something's looking at them, but when they're not observed, they go back into a wave state, which is very fascinating because that's not what the material world does. So Bohm found this really magical. He, it really caught his attention and he began to ponder and begin to look like, you know, what are all the possibilities here? And I know a lot of the other co-hosts are going to share some of his studies, but one of the, the, um, I guess, examples that's in the book so that you can understand this a little better, this concept of moving from a particle to a wave is they said, imagine a bowling ball and putting powder, tacum powder on the bowling ball and you roll it down the bowling alley lane. And as it moves and you're watching it, it creates a straight line. But if you turn away and look or you blink your eyes just for those few seconds, it turns into a wavy pattern. And then when you look at it again, it creates a straight line. So this whole concept um, that about this, these subatomic particles being both particle and wave and moving in and out of this particle form back to wave form, back to a particle form is something that has just come to surface at the end of the 1900s. So there was one physicist that I really loved and he said, his name was Nick Herbert. He was a big supporter of Bohm's and he started thinking, and this really got my mind going was, so I'm, he's looking forward and everything looks physical, but in his mind, he's thinking behind him, there's sort of this quantum soup of stuff that really, really isn't physical. And he turns around really quickly and when he turns around, it freezes and it turns into the physical again. This is something that the scientists ponder. And, I, and what brought to mind for me was, well, what about the peripheral vision when things are not totally clear? Are they still in the quantum? Are they in physical? Because sometimes they say that that's where you see some of these things from different dimensions or um, if you want to call it that. So... This is exciting. This is 
not difficult to understand if you really go through it slowly and you build upon it. And Bohm really opened the door to this idea of the quantum field and consciousness. And so with this, I'm gonna pass it on to another, another one of the co-hosts, but I know for me, it's added more to the studies that I've had and have opened up my mind to so many other possibilities. So I just wanna encourage you to stay with this and then read the blog too, because we're putting our ideas and thoughts in the blog on, on the website as well. So that's what I wanted to share this week. Well, we have, uh, I've set up a line, a direct line so that I can talk to some of them that were discouraged and told us they'll be back whenever, whatever our next book is, okay? And we've used words like wave and subatomic and that, which is absolutely, totally out of their diction, okay? So I asked the rest of the co-hosts, we will go ahead with this show and this week and do the best we can with this book. But everyone is saying that whatever you just said is actually in the dark for them. So we are dealing with beginners and people who are actually more led by whatever is on the marketplace as far as self-improvement and self self-realization okay so again I, I apologize for that if this is not if it's you're not grasping it and I do understand that in this particular part of the book there were a tremendous amount of words that would be very new to people who are more into the meditation heart studies and stuff like that again like Trina has said if you just kind of hang in there maybe we will be able to get the neck of nick of how to give it to you in a better way in fact, I do promise you that as of next week's show, we will actually give you definitions before we even move forward of the different words that will be used in the presentation. And I asked Maria when she goes into the BOM and the inner interconnections, okay, that we actually make consideration for the fact that these are people not skilled nor actually trained or even have read what you already know. So a lot of whatever the particular words are you use don't have definition for that, okay? So you wouldn't get much of anything out of what was just shared if you don't understand what a wave is, that's true. And nobody's blaming you. And this is definitely not pointing to guilt, okay? So definitely keep whatever you have with that and definitely if whatever words that you need, if you could just send me that, I'll help you with that. But again, I would like to persist with this book and get as much out as we can. For those of you who are being very encouraging about what we're teaching and having a greater understanding, not with everything, but a lot, this is encouraging. And we do consider that you get this book. Okay, should we determine to go on with it or not would not be my concern. It would be that you actually get the holographic universe and that you do get the exposure to Michael Talbot's genius and his actual reason and purpose to be on this earth. So we're going to let Maria Jacques of Miami, Florida, pick it up from uh, Bohm and interconnections. And interconnections being definitely a word you're familiar with in your self-realization study. So that's on page 35 of our book. Okay, Maria? Yes. And, you know, I just want to encourage the listeners, you know, I, I, I had my own experience with this chapter. This chapter is very um, thick with information and a lot of words. Um, but I guess coming from Joe's uh, work, it does kind of Joe, you know, simplifies things a lot. And this chapter was definitely very heady. And I had to read it more than once. And, and I encourage those of you, as I did, um, at first, I didn't get it, and I got very overwhelmed. But when you go back and kind of read it again and relax and allow yourself to kind of let the information come to you rather than saying, I don't understand this, it, it starts to make sense. And definitely, word checking is, is an important piece of that in understanding all these terms. And especially in, in the section that I'm covering, you know, we, we start to see in the second, at least this section, we start to see that the scientists don't agree with each other. You know, they start to disagree on some of the theories. But what we see is, you know, Bohm's contribution to this whole concept is that he believed in the 
interconnectedness of these unrelated subatomic ev events that, are, that, that occurred. So if you think about this for a moment, what he believed was that subatomic, and when I looked up the definition of that, what subatomic means is it means that it's smaller than or occurring in an atom. So, if, I mean, it, you know, you have to kind of think about this for a moment. And I mean, just think, I mean, if, you know, I was never good in science, but when you go back and you kind of think of the science, an atom is very small, but then if you think of what a subatomic atom is, it's even smaller than that. And what Bohm was proposing was that they were interrelated and connected. Now, we are talking about the 1935, so you, you know, since then there's been a lot of research and discoveries made, but you gotta think of the times, you know, it's like, Scientists didn't pay attention to a lot of this. And then there's another scientist after Bohm and then that came along and that was Bohr. And he's considered one of the founders of quantum physics. And he came along and he said that these subatomic particles, in other words, meaning very, very, very minuscule, very smaller than the atoms. So again, try to picture that in that these subatomic particles, they only came into existence in the presence of the observer. So who's the observer? That means the observer is you and me as the one being observing these particles. They only come into existence when we observe them. Well, what happened was is that a lot of scientists didn't like this idea, obviously, because Bohr and Baum, Bohm, were challenging a lot of the theories. And the one who was, you know, the prominent theorist physicist at the time was Einstein. And we all know who Einstein is. Well, Einstein did not believe the interconnectedness theory or that these subatomic particles came into existence by the observer. So then Einstein decided that he and two other scientists were gonna to get together and they published a paper that basically said that if there were twin particles that were viewed as separate, which means you know, they weren't interconnected as Bohm and Bohr were proposing, that they basically said that there wasn't this interconnectedness. And so to speak, that there wasn't this communication between the particles as Bohr was suggesting. Well, the problem is that if science believed this, then it would be contrary to Einstein's theory. And I, I assume Einstein at the, at the time was the main guy in, phys in physics. And if, if, if it was contrary to his theory of relativity, relativity, which talks about that nothing can travel faster than the speed of light and let alone something happen, happening instantaneously. So then Einstein and his colleagues said, there's no reasonable definition of reality that would permit that this was faster than light interconnections to exist. And therefore Bohr had to be wrong. So there, you know, then you have this battle going on between the scientists. And then as a result of that, then there was an arg the, the argument that Einstein and his colleagues um, were proposing became known as the Einstein, Podolsky, Rosen paradox, or they coined it as in the book as the EPR paradox for short. Well, um, Bohr didn't stop. He kept persisting and he offered another explanation. And then he said that if these subatomic particles do not exist until they are, are observed and we observe them, then they can't, then we can't think of them as independent things. In other words, they're not separate. They are part of an indivisible system, which means they can't be divided. It's all part of the same, kind of like what Trina was addressing, kind of like the same soup. Well, this had a lot of profound implications for the nature of reality, which is part of what I think 
this chapter and, 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 and the amount of information this chapter is setting the groundwork for the, to show us exactly what the implications for the nature of reality is. And, and I know that it's challenging. I had, you know, it challenged my perception of reality and had to stretch how I view reality in the world. And then eventually what ended up happening is that most physicists ended up siding with Bohr's uh, concept of, of, of how this functioned. And he was correct in his theory. So eventually Bohr was kind of proven right that we can't think of these subatomic particles as separate. They're interconnected and can communicate with each other. And then that will lead to the next part of this exciting journey that we move into. Well, we have uh, some hysteria here on our response lines where people are saying, what is a particle? You mean like a physical dot? So let us, before anybody goes on, define a particle, because that's what you were based on, particles. So to help them maybe grasp a little bit back from what we just told them, let's define a particle. Can you do that? Yes. Let's go to the Webster Dictionary, which is always, you know, the good thing to rely on. And the definition of a particle is a minute portion of matter. That's the definition of a particle, minute portion of matter. Okay, very good. So I'm hoping for those of you who were trying to get that answer while she was still talking, that you just go back to your notes. Listen, I know this is hard, and this is actually you exploring the possibilities here. So whatever you could get from what was said and understand it was referencing a minute particle, yes, a, a molecule, in fact, that you could actually reference it. Something's becoming physical. So we will go on now with Joyce Mullenhauer and Joyce is in Kingman, Arizona. Joyce, are you there? You're gonna start with living, a living sea of electrons. So let's make sure we define electron. Just don't take it for granted that that's just something that people walk around thinking about, knowing about. So let's define an electron. So start out with that, please, okay? Yes, an electron is one of the subatomic particles. And we've just discussed a, a particle as being this minute piece of matter that as we go through this, the particle is sometimes uh, visible or measurable, and sometimes it is not. And when it is not, that's when it's a wave. And when it can be measured, or at least the location be identified, then it's a particle. So it, it is a little bit or a whole lot beyond what most of us have tried to understand. But it is described well in this chapter. And there are other words in the section that I'm going to be talking about here. The, the section is called a living sea of electrons. So an electron is a subatomic particle. So that means it's smaller than an atom. And it's just one of the subatomic particles because there's neutrons and there's protons. But the electrons are the ones that we're going to be discussing in length because they have such an influence on our lives. And, and these couple of pages that I'm sharing is a lot to do with the interaction between the scientists. So it's almost like a little story that Bohr, and because Bohr and Bohm is spelled similar, it's Niels Bohr and David Bohm. Niels Bohr had reached a lot of acclaim for what his theories were. And he was not very interested in David Bohm recognizing that there was a great interconnectedness happening. And when David Bohm wrote out a whole, um, it, it was his explanation, his understanding of what he felt was going on in terms of an interconnectedness. Niels Bohr just totally ignored it, didn't even respond. 
So it, it became almost like, for me, a little bit of a mystery story. Because here we were, Niels Bohr had reached a lot of good uh, reputation for what, how far he had taken quantum physics, but he wasn't open to hearing what David Bohm had to say. Well, for sure, David Bohm was able to meet with Einstein. They actually spent six months discussing back and forth, having conversations. So if we think that we don't really understand this, at that point, they didn't really understand it. They were doing an exploration to figure out just what all this meant. So the word plasma is discussed in this section. And I had never heard of plasma other than knowing that in our circulatory system, our blood cells move in plasma. Well, this scientific plasma is a little bit different than that. It's actually a gas. And the reason it is not just a gas is because it actually has electrons that are moving in the, in the plasma. And like, like a gas, it doesn't take on any particular shape, but it has charged particles. And those charged particles are electrons in plasma. And therefore, because it has negative electrons, it can carry and produce electricity. And it speaks of lightning. And grandmother has talked to us many times about when there's lightning, then negative ions are put into the environment. So the, the ion is another word to, to understand. And ions are definitely one of the molecules uh, or an atom. And I, I have to say, I would need a little further uh, exploration to understand how an ion and an atom are different. But the ion is the negative charge. And it responds to electric and magnetic fields. So this is where plasma is different than a gas, if that gives you just a beginning idea of that. So definitely there was interaction going on between these scientists and Bohm finally actually wrote a textbook and it was fascinating to read that he didn't even agree totally with his textbook, but it was received as a classic, even though he knew there was more that he wanted to find out about. So again, I see it as kind of a mystery story that pieces are gradually falling into place when you read this chapter. Very good. I think that that was really quite nice, Joyce. I appreciate that. And again, appreciate the definitions and uh, looking forward to some good feedback on that. Okay, so we're going to move on now. And our next person to cover will be Geraldine. Okay, and Geraldine is down in Sydney there in the Down Under. So Geraldine, are you on? I'm on. As Joyce just shared with us, there was this new, when I say new, it could, I really want to say throughout everything I'm going to say from here on, we could say new to Western science or new to physics at the time. And I'd like to share that I've done a science degree, but I found that all the things I learned in science, I was not able to find answers in the universe the same as I have done, not even a scratch on what I've done, being with First Peoples and being in nature. The, the biggest depth of the quantum physics really has come from uh, First Peoples, both here in Australia and through Grandmother Parisher, of course. So when I say they first discovered, this is a subset of humanity but it's an important subset we're looking at because this is what's done a great influence as we've gone through looking at Western science. And we start here with the questioning. So Bohm, as mentioned, a physicist, he was really looking at the interconnectedness of all things. So he's a physicist, he's a man, he's in the 50s. This is a very straight area. And from his looking into the world 
he was looking and seeing connectedness is one of the most important things. So from that, it says that he's disillusioned because other physicists saw the science at the time of the world being made up of little parts, whether they be electrons or what we're calling, which as we said, you know, a, a very small part with a, with a charge, which means it has energy. So a very small piece of matter with energy. And this little piece is then thought to react with another little piece and basically that there are building blocks and those building blocks are then what everything is made up of. That was the view of science at the time. But we have this person, Bohm, this physicist saying, I'm really seeing something different. He's not alone. There are others at the time looking and questioning. And the key thing that he was saying was, which is almost opposite to what it was looking at, science at the time was saying the world is made up of little pieces that get put together. So the little pieces influence the bigger things. What Bohm was presenting was actually there is one, one big, endless, filling all of space, quantum field. And that word quantum means the very smallest and a field means it's, it's everywhere. So we might talk about a magnetic field. We might, and you can know that a magnetic field occurs around a magnet. We might talk about an electric field. So that's something that's emanating from something that's creating electricity. This one he's calling a quantum field. And he's saying, unlike magnets, a magnetic field, unlike an electric field, it doesn't get weaker the further away it gets. So he's saying this is a field of, and then they use the word, it's a field of you know, potentially particles, but it's not because you just heard from Joyce that it can be like plasma. It can be a big, thick, I'll say jello, but it's not that thick, <laughs> but it's, it has a presence, but it doesn't have a form. So that's what he's looking at. We've got this big oneness, and it's actually this big field of oneness then that is influencing the small, influencing the part. And that's a big difference in terms of how it was being looked at. So he then gave an example to say, look, how do we, how do we really let our mind unroll in this sort of thing and, and ask questions? Because he wrote one book that was uh, published called Quantum Theory, published in 1952, and it got a very negative response. And the main thrust of this book was that everything's connected. And when they looked at what were the type of reactions to that, they were mostly philosophical. So not so much scientific, but they were, you know, that, that couldn't be possible. The philosophy of it, the study of it, we didn't, they didn't, basically people didn't like the idea that everything was this one big and the one big was influencing the individual. He stayed with it, though, and he wrote another book in 1957, and that book was called Causality and Chance in Modern Physics. So he's now saying to people, stay open-minded. The whole of nature, he was saying, what if nature is infinite so we'll never have a final story? Stay open. In the old science, it said, something being affected, there was a number of causes that affected something. And they give the example of uh, what killed President Lincoln. Okay, there was a gun that killed him. There was a person holding the gun that killed him. And some people might say it was just the gun, the bullet killed him. But then others could say, well, actually, it's infinite. It could be the gun. It could be the bullet. It could be the person holding the bullet, uh, holding the gun. It could be the society that made that person think like that. It could be um, it, you could just expand all the way back and there is no back. So what they're saying is what really does cause something? There's not one finite answer. So a key thing here is to say stay open, stay open, stay open. As you said, nature may be infinite. As scientists, we would do much better to stay open. And through that, he was then able to say, okay, there's not 
one thing that causes an effect. There is potentially anything that causes an effect. And this is where, as I said, this is a male scientist in the 50s. He keeps being brave when other people say to him, that's rubbish, you don't know what you're talking about, you're weird. Um, Then he wrote, as I said, 1952, the first book, Quantum Theory, 1957, the second book on causality, where he said there's a limitless number of things that can affect something. So he's saying if we're looking at something, it could have potentially come from anywhere. He also presented that, that the parts are influenced by the whole rather than the other way around, that I've got these little pieces that I'm going to add up together. To finalise this section I'm talking about, to take us to another potentially big leap, but allow this, ponder this. What he also said was given that this is not about tiny pieces of matter, it's about a field, a soup, a jello, that within that those are now energy they're not things they're energy so that energy one when that energy turns into and this is i know a, a different a different step here when we're saying when we have a frequency which means a wave so if you look at a wave on an ocean if you know music coming into your ears you'll know some music is really high pitched some music is low pitched the different in what we're perceiving is the waves. The waves of a high-pitched music are really close together. <laughs> the waves of a low-pitched music are really slow and long. So how the information is put together influences what it makes at the end. In this case, we're talking about a wave making music. Well, a wave can also become a thing. So when that wave slows right down, all the energy of the wave stops in one spot. So you can almost imagine if you've got energy moving along, that energy is a thing, you just happen not to see it. But when it stops, it gets bunched up together. That bunching up together means you can actually see it now. So what he's saying is we have this information, which is this energy. It can become a thing when it slows down. But because it used to be, like the wave on an ocean the wave is always all of the ocean even if it's a wave so like this this energy that's moving along becomes a thing a particular wave but it's still in communication with the whole of the ocean of where it came from and that means that these particles so if two of them appear two pieces of matter So the energy slows down and creates two pieces of matter. These pieces of matter called electrons are related to each other because they came from the whole. Because they are related to each other because they came from the whole, they're not different. If something happens to one, it happens to the other because their history is one of oneness. And that's where he finishes on this point, which is called non-location, which is really saying now that I've come, I've emerged from oneness. These two particles have emerged from oneness, which means if I take one of them far away, which means a different location, so that's the word non-location, not located next to, so non-location, take it far away, I've still come from the same oneness, so I'm still going to be able to feel the same respond the same and because this is about it coming from the oneness it's not about time or space this also was very hard for modern physicists to take now we're saying something happens that's not related to time and space but related to the original oneness and that's where i'll conclude very very good i mean very thorough i'm hoping that that some of this were where as we've gone along, I've seen how we are moving toward a greater and softer manner of touching on some of this. I think all of you as my co-hosts this week have actually met the challenge beautifully and shown your brightness and your light as definitely as you can. 
And again, to those of you, and let me please make everyone aware here, this is not 100%. These are a, a group of people, but I believe that if you can actually enlighten that which is in the greater need or lack of the knowledge, then you go further. So for all of you who do understand this and are enjoying the science part of it, I definitely welcome you and thank you very much for being on the show and holding the energy, so to say. And for those of you that still struggling with it, I want to just pass a thought to you that you're where you need to be. You've made a choice and you've come into the field with us. And that at this point, whatever it is you think you didn't get or you didn't understand, it's there. It's already in the cerebellum. And as you expose yourself more to the terminology and to the actual conversation or presenting of what it is, your perception is going to become very fast. And in that, I hope, again, you will take time with us next week. Okay. We will go ahead and do more of the work. I almost feel that I need to support Michael right now. So however big a challenge it may be for the co-host and I, uh, I do want to get the information this young, beautiful being brought into our world long before all of the confusion and everything that now is taking place in our world. He was very timely in preparing us to see the much bigger picture. So I thank you all for joining us this week. And, and to my co-hosts, you did a fantastic job. Thank you for meeting the challenge. And understand this, it takes a certain quality of determination. I mean, quality, not in a, br a brutal way or anything you know, like that to be determined, but a loving, caring way and a nurturing way to be determined to actually help someone come forward with you, to lift thyself up is to lift all others unto you. And so we've done a fantastic job of that this week. You have handled some really rough in-depth material and definitely on the mind level is the science of it. So we want you to understand that when you think something is working, it's stronger if you have some perception of why and how it is working. That's all we're trying to do here. Okay, and this week we delivered an abundance of that. I have not exactly listened to last week's show, so I don't know what some of it is that you're trying to make your point with, but I would say at this point in time, let's move forward. And next week, we will make sure that we're better prepared to actually deliver any kind of definitions and words. We will look to make sure we don't take for granted the ones familiar to ourselves, and that we will talk to that very definitely. Meanwhile, keep going, stay strong, stay focused, and thank you very much for being a part of us this week. May your week unfold in a wondrous and magical way. OCO. Thank you for listening to Quantum Leap Book Club. For more information where you can contact us, go to LOARadioNetwork.com forward slash quantum hyphen leap. Have a great week.